Hi everyone, welcome back to Invested, where we talk about wealth as being more than just money. Our partners Paul Rand, Joel Rand, and Sarah Minikari will bring in guests and industry thought leaders to chat about meaningful topics on personal finances, health and wellness, ideas for your business, tax planning, and other key issues that impact our lives and our livelihood. So thank you for joining us, and we hope you find our discussions not only practical and educational, but maybe sometimes a little thought-provoking. With that, let's get to the episode. On today's episode of Invested, we get to dive into a topic we've been wanting to explore on the show for quite a while, digital assets. Part of the challenge in finding the appropriate guest has been finding someone that can speak to both the pros and the cons, but also someone that's neither super euphoric about the subject nor extremely pessimistic, and that is not an easy thing to do, trust me. Today, I have the extreme pleasure of speaking with Dr. Chris Nickvinda from Canon Financial Institute. Chris is Canon's Director of Global Learning and Consulting, where he focuses on instructional design, content creation, and organizational change management. He is also the firm's digital asset subject matter expert. In addition to writing and publishing extensively on the subject for Canon, he is also a blockchain developer and a strategist bridging the worlds between traditional finance and the emerging world of decentralized finance, otherwise known as DeFi. He is a frequent speaker and presenter on digital assets and has a deep understanding of the evolution of blockchain, mining, staking, investing, and DeFi protocols. During today's discussion, we dive into many of these topics, chat about some of the recent headlines facing the industry, and talk about how we see the industry evolving going forward. So with that, let's get to my discussion with Dr. Chris McVinda. Hello and welcome back to Invested. Uh, today we are extremely lucky to have Chris McVinda with us from Canon Financial. Uh, thanks, Chris, for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me today. And I'm particularly excited about this. We have been looking for some time for someone to come on and talk to us about crypto and digital assets and Bitcoin and all of those things that we'll get to. But I think what's unique about your perspective and, and why this is going to work so well for us is that you've got no, no, uh, no dog in this fight, right? You're not here to right. promote anything. You're not here to promote a fund, an ETF. You're not selling any coins. So that that makes you a, a a great a great person to have on. So that's fantastic. Zero. It's uh it's it's one of those things that a lot of people uh, actually have more information on, or perhaps their kids have talked to them and tried to to sell their parents on something over a family dinner, or you know something has happened, um, and so uh, people have a lot of questions. And then, like so many things on the internet that we've all seen. Uh, you don't know where to go to get information sometimes that is not going to always lead with, but wait, there's more and we want you to buy something. So no, not representing any coin token fund, not uh, not trying to sell anybody anything at this point. <laughs> Fantastic. So, you know, I think to get uh, everything started, I want to get my biases out of the way on how some of the things that I think. I mean, I've been a big believer in blockchain, blockchain technology for a long time. I think that's going to play a really important role, not only in the evolution of, of finance, but also many other parts of, of our society going, going forward. And I also think we're going to see an increase in tokenization, which I know we'll, we'll get into 
and some of the differences between the different kinds of, of assets. To date, I have to say, I have not been a fan of investing in digital coins. Um, you know, when clients have come to us and said, hey, should we get in on this? Um, it's not something that we hold in our portfolios. It's not something that we advise on. And we've always said, hey, if you want to have some exposure to that, you know, have a smaller exposure. <laughs> we don't want to do that mm -hmm. with the majority of your, of your real money. So uh, I just want to make sure I get that out of the way. But all that being said, maybe we can spend some time and you can help us define sort of the, the sandbox that we're playing and, and what is it we're talking about with, with digital assets. So I'd be really, I'd be delighted to. Um, I think the, the first piece I think that we should talk about are that um, many times the term blockchain and then cryptocurrency get used interchangeably. Mm -hmm. And they are, in fact, very different things. They're they're overlapping if we were talking about, you know, sort of constructing a, a mental Venn diagram. But blockchain is the technology and then the the different types of digital assets are really uh, are the, the currencies that are exchanged across them. They are the, the medium of exchange that people can use to buy or sell something or pay for services. Um, there are so many different utilities for different types of of digital assets. We'll talk about that, uh, I think, as we as we go through. But I really wanted to sort of say that we should separate out blockchain from uh, cryptocurrency. We can we can take a yeah. look back and <clears throat> think back to how the internet evolved, and and hopefully your listeners maybe are are as old as I am or or close <laughs> or less. <laughs> um, but remembering back when you know we would watch commercials and all of a sudden we started seeing you know, whatever the business name is followed by .com. And we would look at that. And it's interesting if you go back and you watch clips of the Today Show or Morning Show, any of those national TV shows, you have these, you have the hosts and you're like, wait a minute, you put the ampersand in and then something will be sent to me or that just knows where I am in the world. So it's really fascinating. One of my colleagues has said this, all technology is interim technology. And blockchain may be the latest in the, the next evolution. It's certainly not perfect. Um, and we can even look at some, some limitations and downside. But people really like the idea of blockchain technology because it doesn't rely on one or two centralized companies. It's really a, a tool of the people uh, people are able to better collaborate on. And there's, there's less risk of a constraint of one or two or five companies or something like we've seen in the major tech firms um, where right where Apple or Amazon and Oracle and a few of those other you know main companies are the ones um, alphabet you know if those are the those are sort of the larger controlling interests that that have to be in play for people to find things easily on the internet and so it's really what people are calling almost and I'll use air quotes on this but web three um we've, yeah. we've, we've come from web one which is really disruptive to libraries and businesses where we were pushing one-way communication and web two which is where we are right now you get into your car and your phone's going to sync up and uh your refrigerator and your washing machine and social media and downloading and uploading every sort of movie and entertainment is very disruptive to the entertainment and transportation and hospitality businesses um, it's very likely that Web3 will 
will be disruptive more to the financial services industry. So it's really interesting to see where this technology goes. But I wanted to just start by separating blockchain from uh, cryptocurrency and digital assets. Yeah, and when I talk to people about blockchain, I try and use as simple a terminology as I possibly can in the way and tell me either how I'm wrong or where I'm wrong, but the way I describe it, it's a shared ledger. So you have a copy of the ledger, I have a copy of the ledger, and we make a change to that ledger, it shows up on both of our copies, and therefore it it is secure because we both have a copy of the exact same ledger. Is that kind of a basic fundamental? It, it, I would say it's a good, it's a, it's a great start, but yeah. more than just you and the person that you're exchanging have a copy of that, it would need to be validated. Think about, you know, if, if I wrote you a hundred dollar check, um, there's trust that the banks are going to, to true up our ledgers. You may have, Yodely or Mint or anything like that that you're using to to track all of your personal finances uh, or something like that, or just you know using it by hand. And I'm going to deduct a hundred, and you're going to add a hundred, and then the banks are going to do their thing in the back. But in a blockchain sense, wh who is actually validating those transactions? And and there there's code there that really is making sure the quote unquote double spend issue doesn't happen, mm -hmm. which means. That if I send you the equivalent of $100, that I still don't have that same $100 that when we send it to you. And that validation process actually happens by the community. Um, that's where mining and staking and some of those terms come from that we can talk about. But that's people lending either their computing power or their assets to actually just sort of stamp the transaction as valid. It's valid between, uh, between Chris and Paul that this is $100 that I'm sending and it's come out of my account and now it's in your account. Valid, 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 valid. And if there's a bad actor in that system and somebody tries to sneak something in or you know bad code or something, it's really one of, could be a hundred or a thousand different validations that are happening. So that will get thrown out. And it's not just you and I that has a copy of the internet, it's everybody who's participating in that specific blockchain. Yeah. So there are there are thousands and thousands of validators where that chain would have to be all true. And so somebody trying one, you know, one piece of code that may try to uh, corrupt something gets thrown out. And that's sort of where the magic of the of blockchain happens. It's it's immutable, which means it can't be it can't be hacked and it's peer to peer and it's decentralized. Well, I, I need to get this at home uh, as well because my kid can spend the same 10 bucks seven different ways. So <laughs> I, 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 need, I need to figure out how do we do that at, at home as well. But um, think about Google Sheets as a good way of using it. So if anybody's yeah. used Google Sheets, it's a very similar way. You've got multiple people working on the same document and the same ledger, but you can't go back and really change what's happening without all the right permissions being in place. Usually what will happen is those records simply get updated so that you can see a track of what's happening around how something has changed. Uh, and also, it doesn't actually always have to surround money either. Yeah. These, are, these are data storage techniques. There's a large blockchain deployment in Ethiopia right now where you've got 5 million students, 3,750 uh teachers, 750 schools, all moving to a blockchain-based learning management system, so to speak, where there is no thing like digital identity in that country. 
uh, lots of civil war, lots of war, lots of poverty that's happened. So we have social security numbers. We have records that we can tie back from universities. Here, how would students be able to prove that I went to X school, that I have those records, that I then part of my learning then added on and took these grades, took these classes and got these grades. And then I went to university and got these classes and these grades. And then I was in the professional world and I took these classes. Those are the kind of sort of leaps and bounds that are happening, especially in the developing world right now that are using it. It's not important to mention which one, because uh, again, we're not advocating, but it's a blockchain uh, solution that's being used um, to, um, to be able to, again, in a very decentralized way, manage data and records. And students aren't exchanging coins and tokens. Those are just the fees that are paid from the Ministry of Education. Um, so it's just a database that people are able to use, but it doesn't really rely on one or two primary companies. And you talked about the the, the disruption of technology. And, and you know, when I talk to clients, one of the things I, I talk about is the, in some instances, the leapfrogging of technology. So, for example, in the United States, we have telephone wires that run everywhere mm -hmm. around the country. And some countries never never got to getting the telephone wires up. They went straight to cell phone towers and they just leapfrog that technology of landlines and are straight into telephone wires. And I think we could see some of that or quite a bit of that, particularly in, de in developing countries where they just leapfrog an existing technology that we, we consider as given and they go straight to using a blockchain type technology. I, I think you're 100 percent right, because really all you need is a mobile phone. And those have become highly commoditized, especially when you don't need to have the fancy brand on it. Um, you know, that will cost, uh, that will drive the, the costs up that a simple smartphone, I'm sure that's an oxymoron, a simple smartphone, but uh, a smartphone. And then you see technologies that are, that are emerging out there like uh, Starlink, you know, that are connecting the world for, for lower cost. You've even got telecom companies that are building their infrastructure on blockchain. There, there's, there's a, a pretty big one again in Africa that's doing that where they're connecting uh, all sorts of people in communities building a decentralized blockchain-based telecom. And, and again, it's not about people exchanging coins. They're just paying fees, you know, to be able to, to use it. But it's, you know, then it's being powered by, by a larger community. And it's connecting people that only have cell phone technology. But now they're getting digital identification. Now they're getting access to commerce and to participate in the global network or a global uh, supply chain uh, and global commerce. So uh, it's really an exciting time. And I think the, the, one of the key things people have to watch out for, of course, is exploitation um, right. and, and making sure that it's not just um, investment and in here's some random African country and this is maybe happening. We always have to watch for bad actors, but I know we're going to talk about that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's no. So, you know, we've talked, unless there's anything major on blockchain that we've missed, I also want to bring that into digital coins and sure. tokens and then and and sort of reach into that and how do we get there and uh, well i guess the, the last my, my my closing thought would be is that there's not just one yeah and it, it's it's not there's not just one blockchain the and again it's almost impossible for anybody to follow along there are thousands and thousands of quote unquote tokens that are out there right now and and it's very easy. So much of this community is open source, uh, where people can take a copy of a blockchain and then start their own. 
But um, you, know, you can see in by, by understanding perhaps the different types that there are different types of blockchains that do different things. Public blockchains, private blockchains. If the United States ever launches a central bank digital currency, well, that's not going to be on the same type of blockchain that Bitcoin is, which you don't need permission to be able to use. Right. That's one of the that's one of the strong pieces that we see with blockchain that a lot of individuals like. It, it causes uh, our legislators and our our regulators and and people who are uh, concerned with privacy and such to um, to to take mind when we see everything being open source or you don't need permission. If you somebody wants to invest with you, you're going to do uh, a, a, an interview and you have to you know capture certain documents because if a regulator comes back to you, you're going to need to be able to show that you've talked to them to make sure you aren't participating in any sort of activity they shouldn't or you knew where the money came from. With certain blockchains, you don't need any sort of permission. Other blockchains, you do. When Walmart's using a blockchain right now to massively reduce their shipping costs and improve their supply chain, that's a consortium-based private blockchain. Nobody's yeah. investing in that, right? It's right. just happening in the background. But yet there are other people that are, whether it's NFTs or whether they're they're selling their services um, for technology and, and computer technology and design and stuff like that, and they want to use public public blockchains where they don't need permission to be able to do. So it's always about the use case. But I'll I'll end there that uh, as we switch over to different types of digital assets that. There are different types of blockchains that do different things and yeah. maybe we can contrast them when we get to the, the coins and tokens. Okay. And then, so just on that, talking about coins and tokens, sort of what's the difference between a coin and a token? Are they interchangeable? What's the- Great question. That's a great question. That's a great question. Cause again, it's, it's like blockchain and cryptocurrency, right? They yeah. get used together. So uh, a coin is going to be the native asset on a blockchain. Um, meaning, so Bitcoin is the is the native asset on the Bitcoin blockchain. Now, most people don't know this, but you can't really do much with the Bitcoin blockchain. It's like a pet rock, but you can you can exchange back and forth. It is a you know you can you can buy things if somebody wanted to uh, it, with with Bitcoin, but that's as much as you can do with it. Some of the newer ones you can do a lot more, which we'll talk about, um, but. A lot of people probably have heard of Ethereum. The native asset that is on Ethereum is called Ether. So Ethereum is the blockchain and Ether is the digital asset or the, the primary uh, native asset that's there and that's an Ether coin. However, the Ethereum was what we will call a generation two blockchain and they're really building an ecosystem. And so for your listeners, I would have them look down at their smartphone. Think about their Apple device or their Android device, um, and they look down and you see a, an ecosystem. You see a bunch of applications. You see a bunch of businesses that are trying to conduct business or reach the consumer through that platform. That's really what Ethereum and Cardano and a few other ones are that are generation two and generation three. They're building ecosystems and infrastructure. But in this context, what you can see is somebody else can build another token or another service on top of an existing blockchain. So you can issue tokens on top of Ethereum. So Ether is the primary coin on Ethereum. 
It is a native asset, but it, there are people that then issued tokens on top of the Ethereum blockchain. I'll give you an example on the Cardano network. Um, people have seen this one. So Cardano is the name of the blockchain. ADA, ADA, named after the ma uh, mathematician, uh, Ada Lovelace, is the, uh, the name of the, the primary coin. However, the telecom company that I was mentioning earlier, World Mobile Token, uh, is building their blockchain, building their, um, uh, excuse me, they are building their uh, global telecom on top of that blockchain and they issued their own token. So a token is something that is a secondary asset that is built on top of a, of, of a specific blockchain, if that makes sense. So yeah. coin is the first one native. And then a token is something that is built on top of another blockchain. Okay. And then, um, so let's talk maybe a little bit about the differences between some of the different coins and tokens. So sure. whether it's Bitcoin or Ether or Dogecoin or Tether. Or <laughs> <laughs> so there seems to be, what, you know, why, why are there so many and why are, how are they used differently? And what's all that about? Sure. Well, um, I'll, I'll start with just, uh, just for fun here. I would turn around and then come back to you as a very, uh, seasoned investment professional. And, and I would say, well, all securities are the same, right? Correct. They are not. <laughs> <laughs> they are not right. A fixed, fixed income is very different from equity. Right. And then inside of the equity asset class that are a, a type, we would then look at large caps and small caps cap, and, yep. Right. And there, there are all sorts of different things Now you may say, well, but that's perhaps by size or by reach, but then other certain investments are going to then group them all together. If it was telecom or if it was tech or it was going to be doing that, but each security is not the same and doesn't do the same thing. I would urge people to, to think about this is why um, you're seeing the term digital assets be used more often than even cryptocurrency. Why? Because cryptocurrency is one of what I'll call nine different types of digital assets that actually exist. So digital asset is probably the better parent level term and a cryptocurrency is just one of those types. You will have, um, there are, for example, uh, I mentioned this earlier. So if the United States decides to launch, which they're exploring now, a central yep. bank digital currency or a digital dollar, that is a central bank digital currency or CBDC. Yep. Um, that is its own type of blockchain and digital asset. It is not the same as what Bitcoin is. It's going to be pegged to a fiat currency it's going to be pegged back to whatever however the u.s is valuating our u.s dollar i know we've been um all impacted by inflation here in this country and around the world that's a that's a global problem but uh, a central bank digital currency would be a digital version of the dollar that's not going to be valued the same way let's say bitcoin or ethereum is so we can see a difference already between what what that might be, or another type might be called a stable coin. Many of your listeners may have heard that. A stable coin is pegged to any sort of fiat, excuse me, fiat currency like the US dollar or the British pound or the euro or a basket of currencies uh, with the intention um, for trading activity many times uh, of holding a specific asset value. 
we've all seen fluctuation and volatility in the markets, right? Several years ago when Bitcoin was going up by $1,000 every day, um, when people were trading that, they may think, all right, well, it's gone up. I want to take profit or I want to sell it. I want to move it. But they didn't want to come back to U.S. dollars. So they would come up with a, uh, a stable coin that was acting like a dollar since the U.S. didn't have yet a digital dollar, if that makes sense. So a stable coin is different than um, a traditional cryptocurrency, which is going to be based by market price because a stable coin is going to be about a dollar that's pegged back to the U.S. dollar. So, so at, oh, go ahead. No, so I was going to say, I, I hope that makes sense. So there are others which I'll, I would go into, but that would be a, a way of just sort of starting that conversation off of thinking about what's the job to be done. And then there's a, a there'll be a type of asset that may reflect that 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 job to be done. So at the risk of going down several different tangents, which I have now a million questions going in a million different directions. Okay. So I do want to touch on on the central bank digital currency, the CBDC, because mm -hmm. you know, one of my big questions is yeah. you have these other coins, these, these bitcoins. Um, we'll just use Bitcoin as an as an example, and I'm. You know the the whole idea of a of a U.S. CBDC digital dollar. By the way, this is not something brand new to them. They didn't just start this last year thinking, "Hey, should we do this?" I attended economic forums years ago where papers were presented on why or why not to do a U.S. digital dollar. What are the implications? Do we make it trackable? Do we not make it trackable? At what level mm -hmm. do we make it trackable? Lots of questions that go into CBDCs just in that little silo alone. But my question would be. Or you have these other tokens, and yes, they have they have purposes. But just taking Bitcoin as an example, if the U.S. government does decide to come out with a CBDC, what role then does a Bitcoin play? Why would I use a Bitcoin apart from hey, I'm an arms dealer and I don't want this tra trackable, <laughs> right, or some other nefarious other purpose, or you know, I want to. Uh, loaded onto my thumb drive and go to a different country or, you know, whatever, whatever those mm -hmm. other purposes are, how could a Bitcoin compete in commerce and society with a U.S. digital dollar? Uh, excellent question again. So I, I love that question. I, I would say in the same way it's doing so right now, because a CBDC really changes the how dollars might be, uh, transacted, but it doesn't necessarily change the what. The US, the US Federal Reserve and Treasury still are between fiscal policy and monetary policy, right? They are the ones who are um, who are along with the executive branch and Congress and such. They are the ones that are responsible for the, the US fiat currency. But Bitcoin does not have like any other digital asset does not have a border. It's not tied to a specific country. If we move to a digital uh, US CBDC, that that may have some implications. And I think there's a lot of still questions about it, right? We don't know right. if like, I mean, Absolutely. all paper goes away. Nobody really knows, but we would still be looking at our M1, our M3 money supply that we have and looking at it with digital dollars rather than a mix of paper assets and, um, and and silver and coins and things like that that exist there. It doesn't actually differ or change anything that's happening with Bitcoin or Ethereum. They have different jobs that they are doing. That the CBDC would be 
for U.S. policy. We are the, the world's reserve currency. It would take place, um, you know, for uh, Fed transactions and bank sweeps and, and things like that. But it doesn't really solve the same problems that Bitcoin and Ethereum and some of the other ones were trying to do. And Bitcoin was created during the the last financial crisis, the, during our, our Great Recession, um, there was no way to get money cross-border in Southeast Asia. And so that was that was a big portion of making sure that we couldn't have a run on the banks that we use a fractional reserve system mm -hmm. um, right now, whereas, whereas Bitcoin is far truer than that, which is why people think it's more of a commodity with a very finite supply of being able to transmit it from person to person, smartphone to smartphone, regardless of having a central authority um, have to approve that transaction. And um, I'll, I'll push back a little bit on the nefarious purposes because there are there is a difference. I heard this the other day and I, I, I definitely appreciate it. There's a difference between privacy and secrecy. Yes. Um, and, and there are people right now who and your clients, our clients that who have their own bank accounts and there, that's, that's private to them, but it's not necessarily secret from government when they have to disclose assets or net worth or balance sheets, if they're publicly traded. So, um, I think there are people that want their assets to be private and many things on blockchain are, have a tendency to be a little more public. And so there's a, there's a want for a little more privacy when it, when it comes to that, but Back to your point, no, it doesn't really impact uh, the way I see it right now, the way that Bitcoin or the way that Ethereum are, are being used to fund Web3 design and development or being able to push um, new sorts of financial instruments. Uh, the US dollar, whether it's still the way it is today or via a central bank digital currency is still going to be the US dollar backed yeah. by the full faith and credit of the US government. Bitcoin is not. It's backed by a trustless system of code. Um, so, and and the user community that that adopts it, and we've seen governments that are doing it, and and jurisdictions that have adopted it. So, it's a little it's a little different. That role doesn't go away. But <clears throat> again, people are also using these blockchains and then issuing coins and tokens as a way of incentivizing them to to use their technology. Uh, for whatever that that tech may may be, whether it's the education system that we talked about, or digital identity, or um, gaming, art, uh, a whole variety of use cases uh, that are actually happening. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah. Well, and I think you know, at, and again, I'm I'm a, uh, admittedly a uh, crypto skeptic. So sure. Uh, <laughs> or, or I am too on a lot of it. <laughs> There's a lot of bad actors. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then my other question on on stable coins. So we have sure. various stable coins out there, and the idea behind them, the theory behind them, is you have a stable coin that's worth a dollar, mm -hmm. right? or it approximates a dollar, and there are lots of those, uh, lots of deposits on hand. Yet, my understanding is there's not a lot of oversight to make sure that the dollars are actually there to back those stable coins. So if you have all of a sudden millions becomes billions of, of dollars, which, you know, could turn into trillions of dollars in stable coin, you know, how do we know that the dollars are there? What, what are the systems in place and, and how risky is that? And talk a little bit about that. If you can. Sure. I think that's uh, also really, really great questions. And so 
there are a couple of different types of stable coins. There are stable coins that are going to be backed by physical assets. There are other stable coins that are backed by digital assets. There are stable coins that are backed by uh, algorithms, an algorithmic stable coin, if you will. Um, and I'll, I'll give, I'll come back to that in a second. And then there are stable coins that are hybrids of those. And this is a place in the in the digital asset, I would say ecosystem or marketplace. Um, there's a tendency to want, and I say this want because it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it does for the market to handle itself, for the the invisible hand to work its way through and to be able to control. Um, meaning, if you've got this emerging, we're seeing this now. You've got emerging asset classes that are here, like stable coins. But what are some ancillary businesses that might pop up to support that? Auditing firms. We'll see auditing firms. We'll see uh, people that are focusing on tax. We're going to see people that are focusing on um, validating and auditing code that's going to be there from an independent um, oversight standpoint. It's hard because there's no there's no manager of the Bitcoin blockchain. There's no manager of these things that the code is there. So you can't call a number to complain. So, but what people start to hope is that there are ancillary businesses that pop up that then gain trust over time to be able to do that. And we're seeing that right now with, um, and I know we're going to come back to this, but after the, the recent collapse of uh, uh, FTX as an exchange, people are starting to see, well, maybe these, maybe these exchanges should show proof of reserves that they have. And so which auditing firms are going to step up? And we've seen some start and stop. Uh, on that, but you're going to see audit firms, whether it's the big four, whether it's new players that are going to come in there and stake their reputations on the auditing. The same thing to, to come full circle comes back to the stable coins. Has it been audited? Has the code been audited? If you are claiming in your white paper, and by the way, the white paper is always going to be on the website of whatever blockchain project it is. It's a, it's really is the, it, it's the our version of I say our the, the digital asset version of the prospectus. Although it's not a legal document, it is usually what the developers or the the initial individuals, the groups that came together to to issue a new blockchain or to to issue a new coin or token are putting out. Here's what our supply is going to be. Here's what problems we're looking to solve. Here's our oversight. Here's what the code looks like so it's published. People are looking for those things. Is your stablecoin code public so that people can go and look at it, you know, independently? Is it audited? Um, what's the mechanism that allows it to hold its peg, if you will, meaning the peg yeah. back to the U.S. dollar? Um, so I think what what we'll probably start to see is the the stable coins that are pegged to physical backed assets, which I know is something that the U.S. government is really discussing right now as far as you know that legislation from consumer protection if stable coins are going to still be allowed because that could be a competition with the cbdc right um if stable coins are allowed how are they going to be audited um there is a perspective that stable coins are effectively like banks uh and there are perspectives that are out there that will loud voices that are pretty wise voices that would say that if if we have a, a fractional reserve banking system that we have right now, then if we switch over to a U.S. digital dollar, 
then banks may be the ones to issue stable coins uh, because it's very similar to taking X amount of deposits in and then fractionally lending out on those, but then having regulated entities. And then they're already regulated, so it's an existing system. Right. So yeah. th that's a little bit of speculation. I want right, to yeah. be sure there. But sure. the idea there is that there are stable coins that are some that are backed by gold, that are backed by um, uh, by U.S. dollars and bonds. There are some that are backed by code, by algorithms, um, and others backed by by a blend there that we saw with you know, backed by Bitcoin in that algorithm. That was part of the problem that we saw with the collapse of uh, the Terra Luna stable coin uh, earlier in 2022. It was uh, an algorithmic stable coin, but there were the mechanism there for simplicity standpoint was there were two coins that worked together. Uh, there's the there's the stable coin and then there's a volatile pair. And then the supply and demand, if you will, is 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 worked in a code mechanism between them. So if we start to see more volatility uh, in one and more issued on the volatile coin, then we're going to burn a stable coin, which means reduce the numbers of stable coins to hold that value. If people start flooding into the stable coin and think that that value would go up, then we would start to burn the, the volatile asset. What happened there, though, is that like like many industries, people are over leveraged and uh, a, a no. coin that is back <laughs> hey, backed by Bitcoin uh, when that supply started to, to run and that burn mechanism started to happen, that triggered a lot of other people's stop losses that happened. And then more and more and more and more and more of one coin were created and that caused sort of a, a plummet on, on the, the Bitcoin blockchain because they were using it as leverage. And so you saw a big steep drop there. There's a lot of the, the code is is a great idea, but and there's a big but there. There are exploits there, and that's where these auditing firms are going to get better. And that's where I think regulation will probably start to help, at least in the U.S., when there's going to be these five stable coins have been audited either by the U.S. government or have been audited by, let's say, some of the big four or something. And those are going to bring more consumer confidence right now. It's still a little bit of the invisible hand of the market and yeah. uh, trying to find trust in a trustless society. So, and just going through that, so, I, and, I, and there, I know this is an ongoing debate and, and mm -hmm. on who you ask, but I'd love to get your opinion. So, if, so digital coins, are they a currency? Are they a commodity? Are they a security? What, you know, how would That's you define them? And I know they're all different, but like, so how, yeah. what buckets would you, and then of course, and we can always get into this at some other time, but then that meant that means who's who's monitoring right who's the sure. who's watching the handouts uh I, I love this topic because one of the one of the biggest myths i i hear is that well it's really the wild wild west and it's unregulated um and there's some truth but it's also a misnomer i would call that one because in truth we don't have tremendous amount of federal law from congress there around um around various types of digital assets for a variety of reasons. Congress is designed to move slow, right? And these things are only 12, 13 years old in, in the way that it emerges. So of course we're gonna see that. But what that's, what that's created is a, um, the three and four letter acronym agencies each have their own rules and regulations. And that's created a bit of a paradox where we've got things that we're calling digital currencies um, being treated more like property 
So for example, we all call them currencies. The IRS considers them to be property. So we're going to pay various property on there. We're also going to see that there are capital gains that, you know, can happen there, which also means that capital losses can be, you know, can, can go on there or can be used there. We've got, um, we've got the first agency to actually regulate or try to regulate any digital asset was the CFTC, the Commodities Futures Trading uh, Commission. Um, they view Bitcoin far more as a commodity. They were only trying to regulate the derivatives aspect of that uh, in, the, in the Bitcoin futures, not necessarily the individual trades, uh, the spot trades, if you will. Um, but that was our first, and they had commit, they, they regulated a little more like a commodity. The SEC has a tendency to see many, and I'm not going to name names specifically, but many of these alternative type coins, uh, they, they would like to see them treated as more securities. Now, they are not legally securities right now, but some of them are, and the SEC investigates and makes, uh, you know, makes rulings. There's a, there's a pretty famous case that's about to wrap up uh with the uh the securities and exchange commission versus uh ripple which goes by xrp on the the, the trading they were they were deeply had a strategic relationship with moneygram and they were the engine that was going to be running there but the sec thinks that ripple was a security now that lawsuit is still going on it does not look right now that that's going to actually hold up. So that may or may not change depending on, on how that looks. There's some um, interesting arguments that get made for are they are they securities or not. But back to your point, the IRS considers to be property. And this has created a bit of a, a paradox because yeah. you may have seen there are ATMs now that you can go into in a gas station sometimes and, and there's a Bitcoin ATM. Well, if you go into your local gas station and, and take out 50 bucks and you're going to buy some things there and stop at the, the, the food mart and, and grab bread and milk for your family on the way home. You wouldn't be responsible for paying capital gains on that if, if your assets had appreciated. But yet there's an ATM where people could take their cryptocurrency out. The IRS considers that to be property, not currency. So there is a paradox there. Um, another one I would give you is that uh, and I'll ask you this from, from, from what you know, if, if you know any artists, when do they pay tax on their, uh, on their paintings? At the sale. At the sale. That's correct. Right. A farmer, when a farmer uh, is, is growing their crops, let's say they're growing coffee or they're growing grapes, when do they actually pay tax on their crops? So yeah, I was going to go back to the artist. I was going to try and work in something. Well, after they're dead, they're making a lot more money, but I'll <laughs> skip that part. <laughs> but yes, going back to the farmers, yes, at the point of sale, unless, the they, point of unless they do a contractual sale ahead of time. Sure. And that, that, that's, that's exactly it. But with the incentives that exist inside of cryptocurrency, whether it's mining or staking or the rewards that people get for their, their participation in the validation of the transaction, and that's that's the, the long and the short yeah. of that. That's what mining and staking are, is helping to validate these transactions. You are actually taxed when you receive that reward back, and then you are taxed again when that is, um, that is sold, either at a, a gain or a loss. So there's a double tax situation that starts to happen when the block pops out, um, like when the corn pops up, and yeah. then when it's actually sold again. So there are some things that, that Congress is looking at. I really think it's going to be 
clarity from Congress, which might be a misnomer in and of itself. But um, <laughs> well, the other thing you said was that they're designed to move slowly. I would argue that they may not be designed to move at all. But <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so each one is a each one is a little bit each one is a little bit different. You know, we can look at yeah. some things like a. Um, uh, there will be future regulations going to come there. There are the SEC is is recommending that essentially Bitcoin stay with the CFTC and that stable coins may fall under again may yeah. fall under the office of the, the comptroller and that we may see the SEC take a larger role in some of these quote unquote altcoins, which are usually other coins that are not stable coins and not Bitcoin. Um, so you know to make sure that they're not not securities or at least and i think the sec chairman has done a fine job personally because what he really wants to do he's not anti-crypto or anti-blockchain he wants to make sure that there's a level playing field that if it is a quote unquote a security and it has all it looks like it and it acts like it then that it's following monkeys inside baseball that it's following the investment company act right it's following the 1940 yeah. acts and such um but also, if they are examined and they are not acting like that and they're acting like their own asset class, then to make it known that they're acting like that so that they're outside of the security and that there, there can be loss that is not going to be uh, able to be dealt with in the court you know, right now. So I think that there's a, a pretty slow but methodical way of looking at it. It doesn't move as fast as we all want, but um, it's hard to regulate something, too, that's a global entity. And one of the things I want to touch on, you know, before we do wrap up is there's one of the big terms being thrown around and we've, we've talked about it a little bit, but it's DeFi or decentralized finance. Mm -hmm. Can you just kind of clarify that for you know, what does that mean and what is it we're trying sure. to avoid and are there risks to decentralized finance? And Sure. I would say this. Uh, so DeFi, the decentralized finance, an easy phrase I would like everybody to remember is that decentralized finance changes the how not the what mm -hmm. so well put. what what you know think about from a there are lending protocols that are happening uh, on blockchain now those are semi-complicated and probably a, a secondary conversation for us but they work by um these generation two and generation three blockchains have the ability to to have what they'll call smart contracts, which is really a contract that follows an if-then statement, almost like what a trustee would do. It holds the asset. If this condition is met, then X is done. Um, use a sports betting, you know, men, you know, uh, uh, issue. Last night, my my hometown team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, played the Milwaukee Bucks. Right. So a decentralized finance, and this is a, this is a bit of a stretch, but a decentralized blockchain uh, emerging area is gaming and so or, or sports betting. So if I was going to place a bet with somebody right now, it's heavily regulated in the U.S., but if we're going to place a bet in a global stance on that, um, one, somebody needs to secure the asset that is that's being wagered. Someone needs to guarantee that the other side of it can pay out whatever the, the odds are that agreed. And then thirdly, you need an oracle, uh, meaning a, a validator to go out and say that last night the Cavaliers beat the Milwaukee Bucks. If it was a trust, you would think a grantor puts money aside, the trustee holds it, and then at the time of their passing, this charitable institution gets 
X dollars or this child or this beneficiary or that beneficiary. But we would need the right oracle in to make sure that that person passed away. Um, so decentralized finance is a way of using blockchain and it changes very, very, very similar activities that we see today. It doesn't change the activities, it changes how they happen. So staking, we talked about that as a way of participating and validating. That's the more energy efficient way of validating transactions. People put their assets in a, um, you know, in a staking wallet, if you will, and then they still have access to them uh, with many of the blockchains they do, but they can also still use those assets if they want to. Very similar how if you go into a bank and you give them $10,000 and it's your checking account, the bank is going to turn around and do something with that $10,000, right? But you still have it on account to be able to, to use yeah. it. That's a very similar things that are happening with decentralized finance. In the banking industry, you would get, um, you would get interest. In the decentralized finance way, you are providing uh, liquidity to do that. So you're going to participate in the fees. There are decentralized exchanges, uh, thinking like, like many of the you know, people have used self-service channels or you're in the airport and you're exchanging US dollars for British pounds. There's an entity that's doing that. Well, there are decentralized exchanges that will exchange Bitcoin for Ethereum or Bitcoin for another, you know, another currency or something that's out there or type of digital asset. But who runs that? Well, the code runs that. Well, who's facilitating the liquidity that, that's needed there? Individuals can place, can put their money into that, lock it up, and we'll call it TVL or total volume locked on that blockchain or in the application. And then you are providing the liquidity to fund those trades. And then who do you think participates in the trading fees? The individuals who provided it. So it, it's very similar to the traditional markets, but uh, it's it's also different in the the who, you know, yeah. who who is actually paying for that. And similar to it, um, one of the other one of the other digital assets though that um, is in that that sort of type of nine, the other type of digital asset that exists out there, an NFT, right? That was. Yeah. Uh, Boy, 2021's good sign of of peak market probably non fungible token. So non fungible yeah. token. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, what did Warren Buffett say? Be um, be greedy when people are fearful, and fearful when people are greedy. Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you what. When I saw people selling a million dollar JPEG, yeah, I was like, oof, that that seems like a good sign of a market top. Then um, really crazy investor behavior there, but. I would urge you to move past the thinking about that technology being used to trade art. Uh, NFT is really a way of validating. Um, it's a way of validating ownership of a digital, uh, a digital item, or it can even validate it in the real world. And two quick examples. The one that everybody would probably most commonly identify with is a title on their home. So if I was thinking about businesses being disrupted and I was a title company, I might be concerned in the next five years. Um, in the same way that we saw, you know, boy, our, you and I are maybe close to the same age and our parents would have freaked out if we would have said we were getting in the car with strangers. And now we do it all the time, right? You know, so technology changes. Well, provided um, I found them on an app. 
Yeah. yeah, there you go. As long as I, as long as I found it here, I'm okay. Forget the proof of insurance and license and all that stuff. If I got you on an app, you've got to be safe, right? Exactly. Well, we talked about you know blockchain being faster, and we talked about blockchain. You know, you can also it's, it's incredibly discoverable. You don't have to wait a week. So right now, if you uh, you, know, you talk to your real estate agent and they say, okay, well, we want to buy this house, and you put an offer on it, and you got to we've got to make sure we have a, a clear title on it, all those things that are happening, and it'll take a week for the title company to do that. Well, the title does what? It validates ownership of the home. It's on file with the county and your state, all those sorts of things. And it takes a week for them to be able to look that up, or three days, maybe, by the time they get to it. If a, if you're looking that up on blockchain, you can just type in the, you know, the address or the parcel number, and you'd be able yeah. to see it instantly. It validates your ownership in the same way that it's on a blockchain, so it's immutable unless it was updated, you know, you would have to, or, or replaced, you'd be able to track all of those things. And that's what a, an NFT does. The, the second problem that we might see it solve is, think about concert tickets. There was a, a big dust up a few weeks ago about the Taylor Swift concert. That was her, her, her tour after several years. And I don't know uh, what those tickets were, but let me give you an example. Let's did just say get, they were. I just need to know, did you get good seats though? I did not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we're not. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to go to one of those SeatGeek or StubHubs or whichever, but, um, so there was a big dust up with, with the, one of the big ticket vendors right there, you know, with that. So let's say those tickets are a hundred dollars and I'm just making it up. Um, Taylor Swift might get 34 of those dollars. The, the reseller of the, or the seller of the ticket, excuse me, like the ticket master or so would get $33 of that, their fee, you know, and then plus their fee on top of, you know, their transaction fee, then there's going to be the venue and the venue will get their $33. We have our hundred dollars. Now what happens? Those tickets turn around and get sold on the secondary market on those seat geeks and stub hubs and things that are like that. Who makes the money? Well, the seller, um, makes the money on that plus whoever owns the service for the transaction fee, which is one of the same companies I mentioned earlier. <laughs> that's in there. That's kind of double dipping there. But the artists and the venue don't see anything. Well, one of the things that an NFT brings, and again, not the art trade that we're seeing people right. going crazy, but the technology, it is the idea of embedding royalties in the code. So when you get those tickets that come to your smartphone, it's essentially looking at a little bit what's going to be in the future. But in the future, what we're going to see is when we use NFT technology for that, when those tickets are resold, then the artist will have uh, a scrape that will come back to them or the venue. People will be able to, through royalties in the code, uh, be able to actually participate in that. That actually may be um that may bring some uh some stability to the ticket market because you know people are saying you talk yeah. to an economist about price theory on tickets they'll tell you if it sold out in 20 minutes then it wasn't priced in the right way you know? <laughs> right. so uh and i know we touched briefly on this and i i, I do want to just touch on ftx before we, we oh sure up, right so uh massive implosion uh oh. you know billions of dollars and uh lots to talk about there and un unpack but what i what i think would be an important point to talk about is just the the separation we talked a about this a little bit before about the separation between you know is that is that a digital asset story or is that a corporation story right 
I would say it's it's a bit more of it's probably a little bit of both, but I would say this: the blockchain in any of these cases right here did not fail. People failed, and I think we always have bad actors in systems. So, so two quips, and I know I'm being a bit snarky, and we're not using video. So, for those listening, understand that my tongue is firmly implanted in my cheek. Um, even for a very serious issue. Now, 150 years ago, when um, there were stagecoaches, uh, maybe 175 years ago, we had stagecoaches and they were robbed. No one thought that. Well, I guess, I guess the dollar is is a scam. Right. We had somebody rob us. When Bernie Madoff built thousands of people for billions of dollars, nobody said, "Oh, well, the U.S. dollar is a scam." What happened? We go, that guy committed fraud. Right. That guy intentionally looked at a system, found ways to exploit both behavioral weaknesses as well as influence, buying certain people off, you know, using influence, using his own charisma, all the various ways and, and just lying direct fraud. But the instrument that was used was the US dollar during those two, you know, to to skim to create fake reports, to, to illegally trade or not trade while you're doing things and not report in the right way. And that's a bit about what we are seeing with FTX, yeah. is that these were very bad actors. And I'm not even getting into the, the what they thought they were doing or, or any of those, because I, I'm, a, I'm a personal believer of looking at people's actions over their words. You know, and, and things like that. And, and what did we see? We saw a commingling of funds between a, 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 a brokerage, essentially, or an exchange. Yep. And we saw um, there, you know, there's a research firm slash hedge fund. And they were paying influencers on YouTube $50,000 a crack, $50,000 a month, you know, just tremendous amounts of money that were going out and, and some much higher than that. To be able to you know, the, uh, to be able to influence one of the things that they were doing is even um, they were they were looking at, at places where they could get um, where they could get an edge. So remember we talked about there were thousands and thousands of these coins and tokens. And again, I, I, if I if I were to make a one of few recommendations for people, I'd say only probably pay attention to the top twenty, maybe thirty. Uh, maybe even a little bit lower than that. But other than that, these things that are just sort of started and created, I mean, there, there's always a potential for fraud. No, no, no difference than what we see on the big board, right? Uh, where, where it could be just some, some, you know, small warehouse and it's like they're presenting themselves as some yeah. large entity. Due diligence is really important. Um, but what you saw there is, you know, somebody was going to issue this this recent, you know, new coin. And there's a term for it in the industry, but I'm not going to use it here. But it's it's not a really great coin. It's a real crappy one. Um, we'll leave it at that. And yeah. so they're they're going to issue it, and who knows what the the tokenomics were, how they were going to make money. But then, in order for them to list it on FTX, they would give this Alameda Research, you know, several million of them in advance just gift them to them you know at this and then they would turn around and sell them to get them into into circulation essentially propping up everything but there was a red flag there were there were some tokens and coins 
that were not being listed by these these couple of exchanges and that didn't have these sort of crazy distributions that had far more audited uh, distributions and yet FTX didn't want to carry some of those like Cardano, like your ADA, they weren't, they weren't doing that. And why? Because you can't scam on some of those. Yeah. So everyone is a little different. There were no early distributions. Um, it's again, it's where you're seeing some VC dollars that are getting in and they're, they're trying, how are they going to get their money back? Like we would see in private equity, in a legal private entity, you know, um, or excuse me, in a legal private equity transaction. We see people trying that with um, coins and tokens and blockchain through entities like FTX and, and where they would put money in and they were just looking to scrape fees back off. There were, there were red flags. People were using FTX and they were like, wow, we don't even have to pay transaction fees. This is crazy. I wonder why. And it's like, yeah. well, if something is free, you're the product. Right. So, um, there were lots of red flags, but ultimately the long winded answer to say, that you know when you're commingling user funds and you're saying that you you have these in a you know one-to-one which means i'm buying this with you and i'm holding assets on an exchange and you're holding those funds but they really weren't they were turning and and moving them to a different entity and trading with them with their own trading strategies uh it created an entire house of cards um there are there are definitely if any of your listeners have heard this phrase, um, it, it's 100% true. Um, it's really risky to hold your digital assets on an exchange. Because again, blockchain doesn't fail, but there are bad actors in systems. And I'm not pointing fingers at any in current ones that are there. I would, I would recommend if anybody is participating, use the most reputable ones that are there, some of the publicly traded ones that are out there. Uh, because those are the most regulated and transparent and audited entities uh, to participate in, uh, to use them. But I don't hold any digital asset on a uh, on a an exchange. You can hold them in an offline wallet or something. Software gets exploited or bad actors exist. You don't hold the keys to that crypto. It's not your crypto. Right. Uh, so you know, meaning <laughs> that somebody else is holding it on your behalf. So there, uh, we could probably spend about an hour talking about just that topic, but long and short of it, I, I view the SBA or the, the, the FTX issue very similar to how I saw the Madoff issue happen. It was a confidence game. It was yeah. a house of cards built on trust and, and a lot of people got taken advantage of, but in the same way that the US dollar wasn't the scam, the, you know, the, the types of digital assets we're talking about aren't mostly scams. There were probably some that were in there, but um, the majority of it is not scams. It's the people that are trying to find ways. And what did we see when banks got robbed? We got more enforcement. We had better security. Uh, we would see regulation and legislation to be able to, uh, to handle that and to mitigate it, to try to limit the opportunity for people to, to lose money that way, or at least know 100% what they're getting into. Yeah. Uh Great synopsis. Um, you know, you've been more than kind with your time. I, um, but are there any other sort of major topics or takeaways, um, any major misunderstandings that you think need to be clarified or, you know, myths that need to be busted? <laughs> um, I, you know, as I, as I think about it, we've talked about our, our, you know, the, the risks around, you know, people being bad actors and such. I would definitely urge people to do due diligence when you want to participate. 
Um, if you're if you're new to the space, you know, look at things that are more reputable. You know, talk to people that are um, that are more reputable and knowledgeable. There, there's a there's always going to be somebody trying to sell you a pet rock. I know that goes back to the the 60s or 70s, right there, or the next best thing. But you know, trust but verify. Do due diligence is what I would say. Is um, you know, that that's something if somebody wants to participate in. The other recommendation I would say is, you know, if you're looking at things, look to see if there's real world utility versus mm -hmm. somebody who's just writing a paper about what the future might bring. We've talked about a couple of examples today around, you know, certain chains that are being used. Again, we're not mentioning some of them, but like certain chains that are being used for that digital identity, certain chains that are being used for supply chain management, certain chains are being used for that those are those are real businesses those have real world use cases um not every digital asset has a real world use case um and one the one last piece i would i would probably start to say is this that's a bit of a myth and i know it it might it, it might even turn your nose but i would love to see um there was a myth a long time ago that that's a long time ago in the digital asset space two years ago, that <laughs> a uh, month ago <laughs> yeah that that bitcoin was Bitcoin was the the perfect hedge against inflation, you know, or, or could, 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 could serve as that. And then a lot of people now are saying, well, look at it. You know, it was, it was up around 68,000, near 70,000. Look at it now. We have such high inflation and, and Bitcoin back to where it was two and a half years ago. Looks like it didn't do that. Well, what I would urge people to do is and say, look at what a hedge means. A hedge can be best correlated to an insurance policy, from my perspective, um, in that it's a strategy that is, is we're confusing terms like hedge with non-correlated asset, you know, or, or, or off-risk asset, perhaps is a better way of saying it. If you look at when the most recent spike in inflation started, and it was, you know, running about 2%, the Fed had its Jackson Hole meeting in 2020, August 27th, and they had agreed then that they needed to let inflation run above 2%. That was August of 2020. By the time we hit April of 2021, we saw a huge spike going up in inflation. That's where we almost like the climate change hockey stick. You know, we see it start to spike. Yeah. Well, at the same type, at the same time we spiked there, we also saw the first top of Bitcoin right there around sixty-five to sixty-eight thousand. At the same time that that spike started, so if we if we go back and we talk about what a hedge is, and if we say a hedge is like an insurance policy, and I'm going to take out flood insurance, I cannot take out flood insurance at the point that the water is entering my house. I can take out insurance before and then when right. the water starts rising i can use that policy and bring that out i would urge people to look at the and i can even send you the chart if you want to see you can look at where the inflation spike started you can look at where the high of bitcoin was and you'll see that they perfectly align and for those who got out of the market at that particular point they have a tremendous amount more resources to be able to deal with six seven eight percent inflation on the cpi side than those who were just holding on to it for dear life or holding on to it like it was a long-term asset and then looking at it now. So 
that would be another myth, I would say. And I know that that's probably a, uh, a bit of a controversial point for some to consider. <laughs> well, I might take, I, might, I would want to see the full chart and talk yeah. about that. And I would also say correlation and causation, two different things. Right? Agree. So, 100% uh, agree. But, no, but again, but, it's not something you can look at now and go, well, if right. I wanted to go there now. Um, it's 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 definitely taking a proactive you know take a you know it's a, it's a proactive but the other thing I would say is and I would I would maybe close with this is that uh, a lot of people would say now you're looking at because you've got a down market we're in a quote unquote crypto winter um, which is a, a dormant point but the reason that it has a name already is it's because it's happened six other times uh, now you might say, well, that's really risky if you're saying it's had this kind of volatility in 12 years. And I would agree with you 100%. That's why we're not advocating for anybody to buy, participate, do anything with you know that they don't feel comfortable with or anything. Um, but it's happened six other times. And one of the things when people say, well, you can look at it now, regulation's coming, this large exchange just collapsed, it, it's dead, it's, it's dead. Just like we had an exchange happen, you know, closed in 2014. It was like, okay, well, that's going to be dead. And then 2017, you know, Bitcoin hit just about 20,000. And then it regressed all the way back to, I think it was 6,000, maybe 3,000. It was, it was dead. And then it comes back is that, you know, I would urge people to look at what, are, what would an economist say? An economist might go, well, how do you predict economic growth? Look for where some of the cranes are. And when I say cranes in this particular case, I start to mean, you know, if you were in Dubai 20 years ago and all of a sudden you started to see all these cranes that were there when the whole city came up, what does that mean? Oh, no, or go to Austin or Nashville. Or Austin, Nashville, that's fine too. Yeah. Didn't mean to be bougie there. Um, but, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, what do you see? You're going to see workers and those workers are going to need to eat and those workers are going to need to have clothes and they're going to need to live and they're going to need to be transported. There's a lot of economic activity that comes around those cranes. And so what I would say is that it all in the last year or so, while the bottom has fallen out of the crypto markets again, you're seeing some major investment companies make some serious moves. You're seeing the NASDAQ itself, you know, the, the, the company itself open a custody shop yeah. along with some of the large institutions that are opening custody shops that are sort of more East Coast banks that are that are getting involved there and holding. So custody, I know you're, you're, you know, but for your listeners, you know, those who are trusted sources, fiduciaries who are going to be charged with holding those assets. You're seeing you're seeing BlackRock and Coinbase do deals to provide institutional investors with spot Bitcoin trading data. You're seeing Schwab and Fidelity and a few other ones start to open their own exchanges. Um, you know, pulling together, you're seeing institutional decentralized finance products. JP Morgan just did one um, in the last couple of weeks for people to see what more pressure on uh, ETFs to actually be approved, the direct one. We already see somewhat indirect ETFs. We've got institutional trusts uh, of, um, of, of digital asset related products. I won't mention the asset managers, but there are um, there are more more and more institutions making substantial investments. And I, I remember listening to the CEO of, um, of Fidelity about three or four months ago, uh, Abby Johnson, when she was giving a, uh, a speech at Consensus, which is a, a crypto conference. 
Uh, and she was saying it was her third crypto winner and Fidelity has been mining Bitcoin since 2014. Wow. So when I see these major institutions starting to make moves when markets are down, to me, it, it starts to look at it might not be officially dead. I think we will see regulation. I think we will see moves to protect consumers from all political parties. I think we're going to, you know, we'll see moves like that. But what happens in the future, we don't, we don't really know. But um, hopefully, uh, we'll see just a, a crackdown on these bad actors, because everybody needs consumer confidence and protection. Fantastic. Really appreciate the time. I, I, uh, I, we, I think we got. I don't know if we've got your whole semester class in the in the. <laughs> <laughs> or and we talked about doing four hours over four four hours a day for four days, but uh, yeah, I think covered <laughs> a lot of material. So appreciate it. Oh, uh, absolutely, Paul. Thank you so much for uh, for inviting me on. I love talking about this. I'm very passionate about it um and i'm i'm really interested and i know that it, you know I, i've got one foot sort of in the traditional finance side and i i really appreciate that but i'm also um i'm a i love the idea of some of the potential and i don't say promises i say potential there around more people having opportunities who are um who are perhaps locked out of systems who don't who didn't didn't win the birth lottery and grow up in the right place where uh, where 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 people like us did you know in a in a western civilized area already uh and allow more people to participate i'm i'm very intrigued and you know and support those sorts of initiatives um want to make sure that you know it, we can be inclusive and make sure that everybody can participate and have a chance at, at something of What's next? And I'll, I'll end where I began. All technology is interim technology. Um, Bitcoin right now, or these these cryptos, are not actually quantum uh, computing proof. So as we see, you know, more uh, more pushes forward in quantum computing, that might pose an existential risk to digital assets and yeah. the security. So we'll have to wait and see. And uh, uh, I would love to be able to talk more about it with you because. I'm, I'm sure things will continue to evolve and change. Absolutely. We got about halfway through my list of questions. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Chris. So that's our episode for today. Thank you for listening. If you found this topic interesting or useful, please let us know. Or if there are other topics you'd like us to address, let us know that too. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us and thanks for being invested. The RAND Group is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities reference herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. The RAND Group and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for the statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. The RAND Group and Hightower Advisors LLC 
assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the author and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.